Hi everyone, I'm your host, Jaco Selka, and you are listening to Hopefully Sustainable. Each week, I'm going to talk to extraordinary people who are doing extraordinary things to make the world a more sustainable place. My goal is for this episode to leave you feeling hopeful about an idea, a person, or the world in general. Thank you for joining me in this conversation, and all together we can be hopefully sustainable. Hey everybody, I'm super excited for today's episode because we are talking about all things recycling. Recycling is something most of us do on a daily basis. However, it can be confusing at times. You may ask yourself, is this item recyclable? Does my recycling actually get recycled? Or where does my recycling go? Well, you're about to get all your questions answered by an expert. Meet Mason, the recycling program education specialist for the athens Clark County Recycling Division. As a student at the University of Georgia, Mason was encouraged by the incredible Office of Sustainability Director, Kevin Kershey, to direct his passions into a recycling internship. This experience would result in Mason becoming the recycling guy on campus and soon after the recycling guy for the entire county. Join me as Mason explains all things recycling and answers all of your burning questions. Hi Mason, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. When I was in the very early stages of planning this podcast, I was asking a bunch of people what they would want to hear if I was to do a sustainability podcast, and overwhelmingly people responded with recycling. So I'm really pumped about this episode because I think you can answer a lot of questions for listeners. Before we talk about all things recycling, I want you to tell us a little bit about your background and how you became interested in sustainability. Sure. Thanks for having me. Um... So I guess sustainability uh, in general, I've, I've always kind of been in, interested in it um, without really knowing what sustainability was as a kid. Um, I always enjoyed spending time outdoors and um, just we were, we were raised to respect the earth and um, make sure we cleaned up af- after ourselves and things like that, just respecting um, our community and making sure we didn't litter and that kind of thing. Um, we always recycled at home and stuff like that, but never really thought about it much um, about what that meant or what all went into it. It was just kind of what we did, you know? Um, and then uh, when I got to UGA, um, I was trying to figure out what I wanted to major in and kind of what my career choice career path was going to be. Um, and ended up going to the uh, career fair with a friend of mine. Um, I wasn't really prepared for it. Um, I was a sophomore and wasn't really even thinking about that. And he was headed there as a junior. He was all dressed up in his suit. And I was just standing at the bus stop um, wearing shorts and a t-shirt. And he said, you want to come with me? And I said, well, sure, why not? <laughs> um, so I kind of wandered around with him and um, kept kept my distance so I didn't throw off his groove, but um, kind of looked around to see what businesses were there and what they were talking about, that kind of thing, just to get a feel for it. And really what I walked away with was um, I didn't really feel like I fit with a lot of the businesses were, that were there. It wasn't really what I wanted to do. Um, there, here and there, there were a few that, that kind of piqued my interest, but not really as a career choice. Um, but I'm really glad that I went because I ended up talking to another friend there um, who uh, I played baseball with in Little League growing up. And he said, well, if you're interested in like environmental kind of stuff, you should look into the sustainability um, office on campus. Um, and we actually played baseball together with uh, Berkeley Kershey, Kevin Kershey's son um, in Little League. So he said, go talk with Kevin Kershey. And I was like, that's a great idea. So I reached out to Kevin and um, asked him to meet with me for coffee or whatever. And we ended up talking for a probably way over an hour um, and I took up a lot of his time, but it really changed kind of the trajectory of what I ended up doing. Um, and he, he just, uh, Kevin just encouraged me to apply for an internship with the Office of Sustainability um, and kind of get myself out there just doing something to make the community more productive and make the campus a better place. So that sounded awesome to me. Um, and I applied for a few different positions and ended up um, being selected to work on recycling activities on campus. And so basically what I was doing with that was taking over what was somewhat an existing project from a few years prior to that, but um, 
going with what we already had on campus with we, we had existing recycling bins but they were all over the place um, with different color schemes and stickers and some said mixed recyclables some said bottles and cans only some were by themselves some had trash bins near them so it was just really inconsistent across campus and that's what I was tasked with doing was um, kind of making it a more of a uniform system so that if you went into the journalism building and you went into the forestry building and you went into Tate's student center you would see this pretty much the same thing wherever you went on campus whether you're a student staff um, a visitor everybody would see kind of that consistent messaging and and understand what it meant so and also in housing, of course, um, trying to bridge that gap between where people were living and where they were working and learning. So um, that was my main project while I was on campus. Um, and basically we went building by building, um, all 300 or so resident instruction buildings, um, making sure that the old bins were replaced with something consistent and standardized with the same stickers and same look. Um, so it, it was a really great project to get me started um, and I ended up kind of being the recycling guy because of that project, um, which was cool um, because I was able to know a lot of the different facilities managers and like the key contacts for each building um, because I had to talk with them to make sure everything was in place correctly um, before we moved on to the next building. So I got to meet a lot of great contacts on campus. Um, so that really expanded my network, but also made it so I had to be an expert in recycling every time I went to the next building to explain why we were doing this, what went in the bins, um, and, and how to kind of proceed that way. That's awesome. Well, you went from being the recycling guy on UGA's campus to being the recycling guy for athens Clark County now. You now work at the athens Clark County Recycling Division. Could you tell us a little bit about your job and what it all entails? Sure. Yeah. Um, I, yeah. I love my job here. It's a little bit different every day, um, which is what I really like about it. Um, I, I'm focused on education and outreach efforts for waste reduction. So not just recycling, but um, trying to do everything that we can to divert what goes to the landfill. So that's composting, recycling, um, rethinking what we purchase in the first place, uh, coming up with strategic ways across the community um, to kind of change people's behaviors, but also change the systems so we don't throw so much stuff away and waste so much. Um, so I'm in charge of leading the facility tours um, and scheduling those um, for all four of our main facilities, the landfill, the composting operation, our center for hard to recycle materials, the charm, um, and our recycling facility. So we, we do tours for school groups, K through 12 and university. Um, community organizations, families, anybody really that wants to come tour our facilities and learn about what we do and how it all works. Um, we, we lead those tours as an outreach program so that people can firsthand experience the sights and smells and sounds of the actual facilities and bring that home with them um, and, and understand how the whole system works, which really helps with behavior change. Um, so that's our kind of our primary outreach, but we also do event planning. Um, special events of our own, but also uh, any involvement with the big festivals. Unfortunately, a lot of them are being canceled right now, so we're kind of navigating those waters right now, but um, a lot of times we're at Athfest and tw Twilight and a lot of these big festivals, but also smaller events um, around town as well. Um, just getting information to people specific to the event, but also just general information about how to reduce waste in the community. Um, we do have our own internship program um, and we partner a lot with the UGA Office of Sustainability and UGA Housing and other uh, entities around the community um, as well as other departments um, for athens Clark County. So it's, it's an overall sustainability effort, but um, our, our focus is on reducing waste to the landfill. I think that's so great that you guys really get out into the community and offer these tours for people who might not know that much about recycling. It gives you a great firsthand look into what you're doing when you throw your plastic water bottle in a recycling bin, for example. So diving into recycling, basically when you finish using something, you have two options. You can either recycle it or throw it in the landfill. Can you explain what happens when you send something to the landfill versus when you recycle something? Sure, yeah. Um, so we can start with the landfill. Um, 
basically it either goes in a trash bin at your home or out and about in the community, whether it's where you work or around a public space. Um, that gets collected by either a private hauler, um, which is a, a private company that collects trash and recycling, um, or a government entity. So we have our own collections division as part of our department that goes and collects um, mostly residential, but also commercial uh, trash and recycling from around the community. Um, UGA has its own uh, crews as well that collect on campus recycling and trash. So all of that's collected. Um, and then it goes to one of our facilities. So um, trash items <clears throat> that are designated trash from the beginning will head straight to the landfill. Um, and those, those trucks tip off at, at the actual working face of the landfill where we're actively processing the material, compacting it into the ground and burying it basically. Um, so that's where that material goes. Um, on average, we bring in about 300 tons of material a day um, at our Athens-Clark County landfill. And that's just trash from Clark County um, and a little bit from Oglethorpe County. Um, no other outside counties other than those two are allowed to bring trash to us. So that's a lot of trash just for one small community. Um, so that's, that's really the kind of the heart of the problem. And when we, when we talk about, <clears throat> when we talk about the, the tours um, and when we have groups there, I always like to mention that we are one of the smaller landfills in the United States. Um, one of the largest landfills um, out near Las Vegas, Nevada, they take about 300 tons every 15 minutes. Um, wow. so it's a huge impact and it's much bigger than just our community. Um, it's, it's about rethinking the way that we utilize things, not just here, but globally and where all that stuff has to go. Um, we live in a society that uses a lot of things real quickly and disposes of them very quickly. Um, whether it's recycling or, or trashing it um, in a landfill, it just kind of magically goes away. Um, but we, we like to use the phrase, there is no away, it's the landfill. It's down, down the road on Lexington. So um, <clears throat> yeah, just, just thinking about that when stuff goes out there and it does get compacted into the ground. Um, what, there's some positives and negatives about landfills. Um, a lot of times we talk about the negatives, but we forget about what's positive about a landfill is that it's going there instead of somewhere else. Um, so it's not being littered. It's not ending up in our creeks and streams. It's a designated spot to put trash, which is good. Um, all you have to do is look up countries that don't have landfills and you quickly realize how important landfills are. But um, with landfills come certain issues that we have to deal with. Um, and the EPA has to regulate and things like that. Um, one of which is landfill gases. So most landfills, um, actually all landfills produce landfill gases, which are primarily uh, carbon dioxide and methane. Both are greenhouse gases, um, contribute to climate change, pollution, things like that. Um, one thing that's really cool about our landfill is we actually have a landfill gas collection system. Um, and we're able to burn that methane as a fuel source to create electricity um, rather than letting it burn off and go up into the air. So we do have a positive use for that. Um, the negative side of the landfill, we're able to kind of turn it around as a positive and sell that electricity back to the grid, but not all landfills do that. Um, so that's why it's one of the big reasons that it's important to reduce that material before it gets to the landfill. Really the big downside for landfills for our community, because we have that alternative for the gases, is the space that it takes up. Um, so every time, every time the landfill fills up more, we have to start thinking about where the next um, cell of the landfill is going to go. And that's an alternative use for what could be used for agricultural land or businesses or homes. Um, there's a lot of other, or just natural space. Um, so just thinking ahead about where the next landfill will go, and most people, if you, if you take a poll, nobody wants a landfill in their backyard, right? So that's, that's the biggest issue is kind of the political and, and cultural um, aspect of where does the next landfill go when we run out of this space? So we try and do the best job that we can compacting the material and, and filling up the space um, efficiently, but eventually it has to go somewhere. So that's the big downside to the landfill in, in my opinion. Um, if you put stuff in the recycling bin, um, it goes to a different facility. Um, we call it the uh, material recovery facility or um, recovered materials processing facility. Um, there's kind of two different terms for the same facility, um, but those materials go there and that's your standard household recyclables like cardboard, um, printed paper, bottles and cans. Those are kind of the standard items that come to us and they go into that facility and get processed um, 
both by hand sorting. Um, so we have physical uh, human employees there sorting through materials as well as mechanical sorting. Um, so some of it is separated out by machinery or magnets or things like that to separate out each category. All that material um, as it's separated out by type goes uh, finally to a big baler. Um, it's a, a large machine that um, compacts all of the material into large blocks. Um, think the Disney movie Wally. -E. Um, it's basically that crushing all the stuff into the cubes um, and then it spits it out in these blocks that we can manage with a forklift and put right onto a truck and then, then ship it to the market that's able to actually turn it into the products that we use on a day-to-day -day basis. So um, I know you, want, you wanted to talk about that a little bit later on, but um, so once, once those things are processed, we're able to sell it and, and uh, send it off to another market. Um, and that kind of, our whole recycling process depends on those markets um, to exist. So we all have a choice and we wonder sometimes, can this be recycled? Should I recycle it? Maybe I should throw it away. Can you explain this concept of wish cycling and the negative effects that that can have? Yes. Um, so sending us the wrong items does more harm than good. Um, and, and that's kind of an obvious thing to say, but we have a lot of people that think they're doing the right thing by sending us their garden hose, um, but it's not. <laughs> um, same thing with plastic bags and styrofoam. Yes, they are plastics. Yes, they sometimes have the recycling symbol on them, but that doesn't mean that it's always recyclable in every setting. So. Um, there are certain items that are definitely problematic for our, our processing facility. Um, and we want to make sure that those stay out of the, the recycling stream. So basically what it comes down to is we want paper, cardboard, bottles, and cans. Um, there are a few exceptions to that, things that go beyond that, uh, cartons and other, some plastic uh, containers and things like that we can take. But pretty much what we're looking for are those, those standard household receptacle type items. Um, aside from that, uh, most of the exceptions are actually items that should not go into the recycling. I think that's a common misconception. Like you said, people think that, oh, if I recycle it, I'm doing the right thing. But it actually sounds like the best thing to do if you don't know if it's recyclable is to not actually recycle it. Is that true? Yeah, or, or give us a call. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm here all, all the time, Mon Monday through Friday, um, eight to five, ready to answer questions. So um, yeah, send us an email. Our, our email address is recycle at accgov.com. Um, we take questions all the time. We have a frequently asked questions page on our website. Um, so yes, uh, if you really don't know and you're not sure and you don't have access to that information, we would prefer that it go in the trash um, than to go into the recycling and potentially cause more problems. Um, but yeah, finding out the correct information, um, recycling is local. So um, thinking about what your particular facility that it's being sent to can process. Um, not everything's the same. Ours is 25 years old. I know there are five-year-old facilities that can take stuff that we can't take here. Um, it also has to do with the markets that I was talking about that we sell to. If a market doesn't exist in our area and it's more expensive to send it around the world to recycle it than it is to landfill it, you, we have to start making those types of decisions. Um, if What's really nice about where we live is there are a lot of markets in the southeastern United States. So there's a lot of options for selling our material right here in our own country, in our own region, that it makes it really accessible to recycle a lot of things, where in some other areas of the world, it's really difficult to process some materials. So yeah, um, the, the, term, the phrase, when in doubt, throw it out, um, gets kind of tossed around. Um, I prefer when in doubt, find out. Um, so give us a call, send us an email, and, and get the correct information before you recycle. Oh, that's good. When in doubt, find out. What are some of the most common items you find people recycle that actually cannot be recycled? Yeah, um, so plastics are probably the most confusing um, item honestly because it's constantly changing it's the newest of the materials that we use um, plastics have only been around what 50 60 years something like that so um, not all of the the systems are in place to deal with it um, that we might want um, and then there's new materials coming out every week um, from around the world with new technologies so um, just kind of staying on top of that with things like flexible packaging um, and stuff like that that makes it kind of difficult to process um, 
but as far as main items that we see a lot of plastic bags is a big problem um, so any stretchy type material or something think about if you're vacuuming in your house you don't want anything that gets caught up in the the gears of the, the vacuum cleaner rubber bands hair stuff like that in our facility anything that can get caught up in there including metal wiring garden hoses um, plastic bags clothing rope any of that kind of stuff is considered a tangler and it can really disrupt or even break our machinery. Um, so keeping anything like that that can get caught up in something that's rotating, we wanna keep that out. Um, styrofoam is another one that we can't accept um, simply because it's not efficient to process in our facility. Um, we do have the Center for Hard to Recycle Materials, the CHARM, where we can take uh, things like styrofoam. Um, also Publix grocery stores will take styrofoam. And the reason that it's inefficient for us to take it um, is a few few different reasons. One, if you think about every time you open a box that has styrofoam in it, all those little pieces that go everywhere, now picture that on an industrial scale. <laughs> it's like confetti. Um, so it's really, it's not, not great for our big facility. Um, but really the big reason is if you think about the density of styrofoam, it's made to be flexible and really lightweight. Um, so it's a great packaging material. It's great to keep your Chick-fil-A milkshake cold, right? But as far as shipping it out as a final product, if you fill up a truck with styrofoam, it's basically an empty truck driving down the road. Um, so it's really inefficient to process and sell as a material. You're, you're basically getting $0 and zero material shipped down the road. Um, what we do at the Charm facility is we use what's called a cold compactor or the densifier. And basically all those chipped up little pieces of styrofoam get compacted together in a really dense block. It's like a 50 to one ratio. Um, of material so we can get a lot more stuff stacked onto a pallet, um, fill up a truck with actual good material that can be recycled, then it can be recycled as a plastic. Um, but in, in our regular processing equipment for the recycling facility, um, it's just not feasible to take styrofoam. Those are some great visuals to keep in mind when we are trying to decide whether or not to recycle. What happens to contaminated recycling that's sent to the facility? Yeah, so, so another great example of something that we don't want is contamination. So that's the, the wrong items, but it's also the right items with wrong stuff on it. So if you think about like a peanut butter jar, that's a great uh, polyethylene plastic that can be recycled right into new products, but not if it's full of peanut butter <laughs> or, or even the peanut butter residue. So um, <clears throat> that's where it gives us some, some issues is if people don't clean out their material before they send it to us. Um, most things like soda and beer and even some food items, it's, it just takes a quick rinse and you're good. Um, even, even milk cartons and things like that, just a quick rinse and, and put it in the recycling that way. Um, more oily type materials like butter and um, peanut butter and cheese sauce, stuff like that. Um, we recommend um, if you have a dog at home, they're really good at helping clean out your recyclables. Um, if not, um, just some uh, dish detergent and hot water, close up that peanut butter jar, shake it up and let it sit for a while. That, that detergent helps cut the oils and then you can dump that out. Um, you don't want a lot of fats, oils and greases in, going down your drain. Um, so try and avoid that. But we also don't want that stuff in our recycling. So if it's not a clean plastic container or, or clean container in general, we don't want it at our facility. Um, so that, that really helps us out if you can clean it. But um, your, your question was about the, the contamination and what that kind of does at our facility. Um, really, it's, it's about efficiency and it's about the value of the materials. Um, if you think about especially the paper um, and cardboard type products, if they're saturated with greases and oils and things like that, it's really difficult for the paper mills to turn it back into something like more paper or more cardboard or paper towels, toilet paper, things like that if there's a bunch of oily substance mixed in with it. Um, if it's a relatively clean load, um, they can get a higher value, but that also means we make more money off of it. So it's, it's about the dollars and cents and the economics of running an operation like this, but it's also about the feasibility of making the whole system run. If, you're, if your goal is to end up with a good product that can be reused and recycled, you want a good feedstock going into that that, that works for that process. So. If we end up with stuff like a peanut butter jar that's full of peanut butter or a pizza box that still has the peppers and the butter sauce and pepperonis and all that still in it, that ends up as trash and that's a cost to our operation. We have to send it to the landfill, which is uh, time by our staff. It's fuel in our trucks. 
Um, it's time that we could be picking up good recyclable material other places, and then we still have to pay the tipping fee just like any other company when they go to the landfill. Um, so it's, it's like we're double counting all of these different things um, that add up in the cost of doing business, and that, that just kind of makes the whole thing less efficient to run. If you get to a certain lack of efficiency, it doesn't really make sense to do the recycling in the first place. Um, so that's where the kind of when in doubt, throw it out comes in. If you're gonna put something contaminated in the recycling, we would rather that go in the trash than potentially come in and contaminate other materials and make the whole load messed up. So either look it up if you don't know it can be recycled or just take the few extra seconds to clean it out or dump it out. And that seems like it really helps everyone along the way. Exactly, yes. Over time, recycling has gotten more and more expensive to the point that some locations aren't even offering recycling anymore. As I understand it, we've sent a lot of our recycling to China in the past and they are no longer accepting it. Correct me if I'm wrong, is there a reasoning behind the price increase and what are we doing now that China's not accepting our recycling? Great question, uh, big question, Lot, lots of moving parts there. Um, the nice thing about that question for us in athens Clark County is we were not sending our stuff to China in the first place. Um, so that uh, I mentioned that a little bit earlier about all the markets that are available here in Georgia. Um, actually, Georgia, I believe, is the number two state for industries that use recycled materials right after California. Um, wow. So we have a lot of industries right here in our own state, um, right down the road within 30 minutes um, that use our materials. And so that keeps us from having to ship it overseas and have to deal with um, issues like when another country stops taking materials, where does it go? Um, unfortunately, that still does affect us because all the material that other communities were sending to China now are coming to the facilities that we send to. And so it's, it's just a, an economics problem, basically. It's supply and demand. If there's a surplus of material staying in the United States, more material than we can deal with, um, that drops the value of the commodity prices. So when we're trying to sell cardboard or plastics, um, if those values are lower, that means that we're processing it at the same rates. Um, it still costs us the labor and the overhead um, electricity and rent and all the different things that go into the building. It costs us all of those things, but then we're not getting as much revenue out of it. Um, so it's just, it comes back to that dollars and cents. Um, what we really need is more industries. There are lots of industries around the United States. We need more of those industries using recycled content as their feedstock rather than materials from natural resources. Um, so putting an investment in that will allow them to buy more materials from recycling facilities like ours um, and keep the system going. Um, you, you know, the recycling symbol has those three arrows um, and those kind of represent the three parts of recycling. It takes the individuals that actually put stuff in the recycling bin, it takes the, the processing facilities like ours to process that material, but then it takes the, the end of that, um, it takes those markets turning it back into new materials, and then those consumers buying those materials again. If any of those parts break, it, it stops the whole cycle. Um, so it is important for us to make sure that those markets are doing well, it's, it's good to make sure that the processing facilities are doing well. And then um, at, at the individual level, we wanna make sure, especially as a government, making sure that it's accessible for people, um, that they're able to easily get their stuff to the recycling, which kind of goes back to the project that I was doing at UGA. If you have recycling bins right next to the trash bin, that gives everybody the option at the last second to do the right thing and put it in the right bin. If you have a recycling bin by itself, it becomes a trash can. And if you have a trash bin by itself, then all the recyclables are going to end up in that trash bin. So um, just setting it up in a, a way that makes sense for the individual to do the right thing easily um, will make the whole system work better. For any listeners who live in some of these locations that have stopped recycling, do you have any advice for them on what they can do? It's tough. Yeah. Um, it, again, it comes down to the priorities of the community and the dollars and cents. Um, if, if the community can't support paying for a system to continue to recycle, um, it kind of comes down to the supply and demand from the consumers. Um, if, if there's enough demand for a recycling facility from the community, 
then maybe a private company comes in and sets up a recycling facility because they know that that demand is there. Um, but again, it's not just on the individual side, it's on the other side too. They have to be able to sell that material to a market. If the markets are flooded, what's the incentive for them to come in and build a new facility in this, in this town um, that you're talking about? Um, so just, uh, it, it is, it's a tough situation. It's a political decision um, a lot of times, but it also comes down to the, the monetary decision of does this company come here and start a facility um, or is there enough material or enough markets to make it worthwhile? Um, and we're, we're kind of in that situation here in Athens too. We're, we're coming to the end of a contract with a private company. Um, so our facility is a private public partnership. Um, the land and the actual building itself is owned by the county, but it's run by a private company. So um, we're, we're in the process right now of getting um, proposals from different private companies on kind of the, what the contract would look like going forward with this facility. And then um, we're actually planning to build a new recycling facility using SPLOST funding, the local option sales tax. Um, hopefully uh, in the next few years, it's within this next 10 year uh, SPLOST timeframe. But um, all of that behind the scenes kind of bureaucracy of dealing with, does this private company want to run this facility? What kind of revenues are they going to be able to bring in? All of that kind of stuff plays into the decision, which unfortunately kind of deflates the sales for any individuals that really want to make make a big change um, really it comes down to the decision makers in that community so um, I would recommend that they reach out to their commissioner um, or, or their mayor in their community and explain how important recycling is to them um, or to the community um, getting a, a group of neighbors or, or whoever um, church group or whoever that is passionate about this, getting them together and explaining to the leaders in the community why they want to continue to recycle. Um, another option, a lot of times it doesn't make sense for a rural community with not a whole lot of tax base or income to set up their own recycling facility, but it might make more sense to have a regional facility that, that services multiple counties. So I talked about our landfill only being athens Clark County and Oglethorpe, but our recycling facility, um, a lot of the material comes from Oglethorpe and Oconee and Madison and Clark County and Jackson County. So it is kind of a regional hub. Um, there's another recycling facility in Conyers that is kind of the same way. They bring material from the Metro Atlanta area and other surrounding counties. So a lot of times it makes more sense to kind of pool resources and, and build maybe a bigger facility that can handle more material, but it, it services a bigger region. I want to kind of switch gears now to a question and answer session. I asked listeners to send in some questions that they had about recycling, and I got some really great ones. I was actually surprised at how many people asked the same question. How do I know if what I'm putting in my recycling bin is actually getting recycled? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, Hopefully, uh, if you're asking this question, there's someone like me in your community that you could ask um, and they can give you information about it. Um, it's good to be skeptical. It's good to ask questions like this because um, not every community has the, the assets that athens Clark County does and the, the investment in recycling like we do. Not every community has an education person devoted to recycling and waste reduction. Um, that's actually pretty rare, I would think. Um, so. Just, yeah, that's a good question to ask. Um, asking the, the actual recycling facility that kind of tracing where your stuff is going um, and, and, and asking the folks that are actually processing the material. Um, so I can't really speak for every community, but I can, I can talk about specifics about Clark County. Um, so our, our actual recyclables go to just a handful of um, different facilities around the region. Um, and I, I can just read off a few of them. Um, our cardboard and mixed paper goes to a company called Pratt. Um, and they have contracts with big companies like Amazon that use a lot of cardboard. Um, so they take a lot of our paper product and our cardboard, um, basically pulp it and then run it through another paper mill to make new paper products. Um, so that's right down, the, right down the road in Conyers. Um, another one is Novellus. Um, they're an international distributor of aluminum, um, and they're right down the road in Greensboro, Georgia. So we, we can actually go and visit those places and make sure that our stuff is getting recycled. Um, also, if they weren't recycling it, I, 
I guess I can't say this with a complete certainty, but they're paying for this material um, from us to use it for some, some product. Um, so I, I don't know why they would be paying for it if they weren't recycling it into new products, but I've actually toured both of those facilities and watched the whole process of it going from your old uh, homework papers and your old soda can and being turned into things like paper towels and toilet paper. And um, well, actually the, the way that it leaves uh, Novellus is as this giant, um, they call it an ingot. It's like this giant block of aluminum that gets sent to other companies um, as a roll of aluminum like uh, Coca-Cola and Anheuser-Busch, they, they use that giant roll of aluminum to print out um, new cans, basically. Or uh, a lot of times it's sold to like car companies um, like Ford and Toyota. A lot of times are using aluminum in place of steel now. So your old can could end up in a Ford F-150. Um, so it's kind of cool to see right here in our own state those things being done. Um, some of the other ones, uh, polyethylene, which is your standard um, water bottle or soda bottle, um, that actually goes to Somerville, Georgia, to a company called Mohawk, and they make carpet fibers. Um, so plastic bottles directly getting recycled into carpet. Um, but there's a lot of different examples like that all around the United States and around the world of industries that are using the material that you put in the recycling bin and sell it right back to you. And you might not even know it. You buy the carpet for your ha new house you might not even know that it's made out of recycled bottles. Um, and a lot of times aluminum cans don't even say how much recycled content they have in there, but most cans are right around 40% recycled content um, or more. So a, a lot of your aluminum cans are going right back into becoming a new can or aluminum foil or something else um, along those lines. So it's, it's hard to say what each community is doing, um, but our specific materials, we have staff here that can kind of trace where it's going, what it's getting turned into, um, and we can stay with a straight face and ensure our, our uh, community that the stuff is getting recycled. I think that's really great to hear because I think a lot of people probably put their recyclables in the recycling bin and don't even think about where it goes. And so that's really great to hear about these actual examples of where they're going. And it sounds like it's really this entire circular process of you're recycling something and you could be buying something in the store a few months later made out of what you recycled, which is really exactly. cool. I know you touched on this a little bit earlier about how plastic bags, like from the grocery store, for example, are actually not recyclable. What do people do with those if they're not recyclable? Yeah, and, and actually the, the term recyclable is kind of a sticky term too because a, a jet engine is recyclable, but we don't want that in your recycling bin, right? So it, something, something can be recyclable, but not recyclable in the sense that it goes in your standard recycling. So um, plastic bags are technically recyclable. They, they can be recycled into new products just like the other things, but because they're problematic in our processing facility, we want to keep them out as much as possible. And that also includes trash bags and recycling bags, anything that's stretchy like that, we want to keep that out. Um, but it can be recycled through um, pretty much every grocery store that I've been to has some sort of take back program for their plastic bags. Um, a lot of department stores have it as well. And then um, here in Athens, we have the Center for Hard to Recycle Materials, the CHARM. Um, and we can take a lot of household hazardous waste type items, batteries, um, paint, electronics, uh, light bulbs, lots of different things. But plastic bags are one of those that we can take as well. Um, and that goes to a company called Trex Lumber. Um, and they make um, like the decking lumber that you would see on a like an artificial deck um, that's not wood but it's like a composite material made from recycled plastics um, so they they primarily use old milk jugs and plastic bags as their feedstock for those materials um, so yes recyclable no don't put it in your recycling bin um, and same same is true with styrofoam as well I know I personally take my bags to the grocery store. Normally, a lot of times, right, when you walk in, there's a bin and you can just stick them right in anytime you go to the grocery store. So it's actually pretty accessible. Yeah, exactly. If something is biodegradable or compostable and you throw it away, does it break down any differently than something that's not biodegradable or compostable? Um, somewhat, it's, it's kind of a complicated process. Um, it depends on the life cycle of the landfill itself um, and kind of where, where in that timeline you are. Um, 
when the, when the material first goes into a landfill, it does break down a little bit. There's bacteria and, and other organisms in there that help break down material. Um, but it's not the same thing as composting. So I think there's a little bit of a disconnect there when people think about, well, it's returning to the earth, so it'll just break down and we don't have to worry about it. That's not really true of a landfill. Um, it's more like a time capsule. Um, so that material breaks down a little bit. That's where the methane um, and carbon dioxide comes from is an off gas of that breakdown process. Um, and that's through what's called anaerobic digestion where things break down slower um, through, whereas in a composting system, you get a lot of oxygen in the pile and it breaks down quickly. Um, so you don't have as much of those, those gases um, coming off. So in a landfill, it does break down somewhat, especially the organic material like um, paper and food scraps and um, like you were saying, biodegradable type items. They do break down a little bit, um, but once it's been covered with the dirt um, and we kind of keep moving on with the landfill and building up on top of it, you start getting less and less oxygen and, and water, um, which is vital to life as we know. Um, so the, the bacteria in there doesn't get enough of the resources that they need, so they can't break down the material as quickly. Um, so over time, eventually you don't, you don't have any oxygen in there once it's been sealed. Um, we use a plastic liner on the bottom and the top of landfills now um, to kind of encapsulate the landfill so that the material doesn't break down. Um, the, it's actually designed so that it doesn't end up settling over time. You want to be able to kind of keep that, that system intact. Um, so it's, it's a little bit hard to kind of pinpoint the, the differences, but um, stuff does not break down the way that it would if you were composting it. Um, biodegradable materials are great, though, because we are putting more and more emphasis on composting and other systems for, for dealing with that type of material. Um, and the other great thing is if it, even if it's littered or if it's accidentally blows out um, before it reaches the landfill, that stuff will break down over time. Whereas other synthetic type materials like plastics um, that are not biodegradable will just sit there for, we don't even know how long, hundreds, if not thousands of years. So there are positives to biodegradable materials. Um, and we're fortunate to add actually our landfill facility, we have a nine acre plot that's for commercial composting. Um, so we, we do our own food scraps collection from restaurants and businesses um, within our collections division. Um, but we also take food scraps drop off um, from individuals um, at no charge right now um, at three of our different facilities. And then also uh, there's community composters that have their own little business that collect from households and bring their material out to us. Um, so all of that stuff is going into our compost, but also other organics like leaf and limb, um, like uh, landscaping debris, that goes into that same system as well. So the, the design is to keep all of those organic materials out of the landfill in the first place to save space for the things that actually have to go to the landfill. That's really amazing that you all offer your composting. For the next question, I've heard many mixed answers to this question, so I'm really interested to hear what you have to say. When you recycle plastic bottles, are you supposed to remove the lids or keep the lids on? Great question. Yeah, um, we get that question a lot on our tours and, and in our frequently asked questions. Um, the, the reason that there is that question is exactly what you said. There's different information all over the place. Some of it is dated information um, and some of it is based on community. Um, so I would say check locally, but here in Athens, Clark County, um, leave the lid on. Um, so empty out the bottle, make sure it's empty, and then put the lid back on um, for plastic on plastic. Um, it's a little different when it's two different materials. Um, so it is two different types of plastic, but the, the company that I mentioned earlier, Mohawk, that deals with the carpet, um, they're able to process both types of plastic separately um, at their facility. Um, when you have a glass bottle with a metal lid, um, it's actually better to separate those out like a pickle jar. Um, the metal can get collected by the magnet um, and then the glass will get processed separately. So it's easier if those are separated out. Um, or if you have a plastic lid on a glass bottle, um, go ahead and actually toss out the plastic lid because that's just going to end up in the trash at our facility anyway. So that's the big one. If the, if the lids are separate, they're so small, a lot of times they fall through the cracks in the system um, and end up in the trash pile anyway. Um, so it's best to keep it connected or, or um, go ahead and put it directly in the trash from the beginning. Um, the reason that a lot of smaller communities or communities of the past um, said take the lids off 
was um, uh, an issue of the actual baler that we mentioned earlier um, that compacts the material. Um, the, the balers that used to be used and s still are in a lot of smaller communities um, don't have the same compaction rate um, or the same amount of pressure. So when you have a plastic bottle in there that has the lid on it, it doesn't have enough pressure to get all of that air out. So you end up with a pocket that's wasting space in the, in the bale. Um, so you, you've wasted space. And also if it does get enough pressure to pop that, um, that lid off, it can go flying all over the, the room. Um, so it's, it's a potential hazard for the employees, but it's also um, more, more so an efficiency standpoint. Um, to make sure that there's not an air pocket in there. But our, our industrial size baler that we use, um, it's, it's huge <laughs> and it, it, get, it gets a lot of pressure um, and uh, it, it can basically squeeze the air out of it even if it has the lid still on um, and we're able to process all of that material rather than just some of it. Okay, that's great to hear. I can't imagine having all these bottles with lids popping off everywhere. That's yeah, I know. Crazy. <laughs> So moving on to the next question, over the past few years, dairy alternatives have become a lot more popular. People are buying everything from almond milk to oat milk to all different sorts of varieties. And a lot of them come in these sort of, they seem like cardboard. I think they're called texture pack containers. Mm -hmm. And I recently heard that those are not recyclable since a lot of people who are buying these items are focused on the environment. Is that true that they are not recyclable? Um, I'm going to say the same answer from the last one. It, it depends on where you are. Um, it depends on the processing equipment and the markets. Um, so we've, we've actually clarified and confirmed recently that our paper uh, vendors that buy from us um, can take it. Um, so uh, yes, we can take Tetra Pak, cartons, um, even uh, paper cups. We're, we're working on uh, being able to take that in our, in our regular single stream recycling. Again, it comes back to making sure that they're clean, um, but all of those can be processed. Um, but basically, if you think about any of these different industries that we sell to, they have kind of a threshold of what they can accept that is considered either contamination or um, a residual of some sort, something that's uh, re residue. Um, so uh, a glass or plastic bottle with the label on it, um, that can get screened off in the process at that next facility. Um, rather than having to be removed individually by each person that's recycling, you know? So um, there's an acceptable amount of contamination of things that they don't really want, but they'll take it so that they can get the, the good material, you know? Um, so in the, in the paper product um, market, they are looking for paper fibers. That's what they want to be able to make more paper products and more cardboard out of it. Um, they can, they can have an acceptable level of plastics mixed in, um, even an acceptable level of that kind of foil lining that's inside some cartons and some Tetra Pak. They can screen that off and, and pull that out through a big kind of centrifuge type machine um, that can screen out certain materials and leave the good paper fibers to be used in the recycling process. So um, here in Athens, um, we can take Tetra Pak cartons, paper cups, uh, all of those different types of paper products um, as long as they're clean. Okay, so just for, a, for general advice, like you said, for a lot of these kind of specific items, just look up in your specific area if they are recyclable or not. Right, and a lot of municipalities, if they have their own recycling process, they have guidance on their website um, that's either a poster or a flyer or some sort of way of, of saying, yes, we take this, no, we don't take this. Most, most communities have that. Okay, that's really good to hear. That would be really helpful. For the next question, what do the numbers on the bottom of plastic products mean? Yeah, um, so those are, are mostly um, intended for the industrial side of things. Um, it refers to what's called the resin code, um, and it has to do with the actual molecular um, makeup of each type of plastic. Um, so each of these different types of plastics are used for different things. Um, so number one plastic is called polyethylene. Um, that's like your water bottles and soda bottles, and they can be used um, both for the bottles, but also can be used in a similar way as polyester is used in clothing and, and carpet fibers. Um, so it's kind of a similar makeup. Um, and I'm, I'm not a chemist, so I don't know all the details of how it's all broken down, but um, 
each, each of the numbers corresponds to a different type of plastic. So you have number one, which is polyethylene. Number two is high density polyethylene. That's like your milk jugs um, or detergent bottles. Number three is uh, polyvinyl chloride, which is PVC. Um, so like the PVC pipes would be considered under that, but also any number three container would also be PVC. Um, number four is low density polyethylene, um, which sometimes is like your uh, yogurt cups and things like that. But it also sometimes um, is what plastic bags are made out of. So that's why it's hard to, to say we take number four because some things that are made out of number four are tanglers and are problems, whereas some number fours are actually good recyclables that we want. So really what it comes down to for plastics for us is we want rigid containers, um, something that's a hard, definite volume, like a, a cup or a bottle or a, a container of some sort, rather than a soft plastic, which would be like a bag or um, like, like the flexible packaging that you get with like granola and nuts and things like that that come in. Um, chip bags is another example of something that we don't want. So those types of cheaper, flexible materials we don't want in the facility. Um, number five is polypropylene. Um, that's used for a lot of different kind of thicker plastics like paint um, buckets and um, a lot of times like protein powder and things like that will come in bigger uh, number five containers. Um, some of the takeout uh, type plastics that you get for to-go orders is number five plastic. Um, number six is another one like what I was talking about with number four where it can be a recyclable or a non-recyclable. Um, solo cups are number six, uh, polystyrene, and we can recycle solo cups in Athens, um, but polystyrene is also um, styrofoam, um, expanded polystyrene. So it's still a number six, but we don't want that in our regular recycling. So it's hard to kind of do blanket, yes, we can take this number, um, and really those numbers aren't intended for educational purposes or for yes, we can take this, yes, or no, we can't. It has to do with the actual material and what it can be turned into or what types of products they can make with that. The really interesting one is number seven. Do you know what number seven is? I don't. It's other. <laughs> <laughs> so it could be anything. Wow. Um, it's, yeah, it's um, a lot of the bio-based plastics that you were talking about, the biodegradable plastics, they have a number seven on them. We don't want that in the recycling, but we do uh -huh. want it in the composting. So it's kind of weird. Um, the corn, corn based or soy based plastics, a lot of times are seven. Um, but there's a lot of other things that are sevens as well that are not biodegradable, but they're also not recyclable. So it's, it's really hard to kind of judge it based on the number, but um, it is kind of interesting if, you, if any of your listeners are interested in learning about the different types of plastics, it's not just a broad based um, plastics, you know, it's, there are a lot of different categories that you can use certain plastics for certain things and other applications that probably wouldn't work as well. Yeah, that's super interesting. For the next question, we had a listener who works in product development send in this question. And as someone who's trying to create more sustainable packaging, she wants to know, do all adhesive labels make a product non-recyclable? Um, no, they, they don't make them non-recyclable. That, that kind of falls under that accepted uh, threshold of what the markets will accept. Um, so if your soda bottle or your Powerade bottle or whatever has that label on it, when it gets to the facility where they're making carpet, they shred everything into little flakes. Um, and then they use um, a, basically a, a water bath to separate everything out by density. And then they also have a screener that pulls out any of the leftover material that would pull out things like the label. Um, so that stuff does get screened and unfortunately it does get thrown away. Um, so if you're looking at it from the standpoint of um, sustainable packaging and, and producing these materials in the first place, um, that's, that's something that could be eliminated from the system. Um, the, the problem is different bottles needing different labels um, to identify what's in them, what would be the alternative? So just, just thinking about that type of thing from on the front side of uh, the, the manufacturing. Um, I've thought about that with, with produce labels. Um, I think I've seen this before. All those little stickers on the oranges and bananas and everything, um, I've seen alternatives where they're either compostable, so you don't have to take the sticker off, you just put it in, but that's not the case right now with most stickers. Um, they still have that plastic content in there. 
but I've also seen um, stamps um, where they, that, like a food grade stamp that can go on every banana or whatever, and then you don't have that little piece of plastic that has to be manufactured and then dealt with at the end of its life. Um, so something similar could be done with, with uh, other packaging, um, just thinking about do we need that extra, extra label or is there another way of identifying what is in this packaging? I mean, obviously on a, on a canned good that's made out of steel, you need that paper label. Otherwise you don't know whether it's peaches or beans, <laughs> right? Um, so that could be problematic. Um, but in that process, the steel gets melted down and the paper just basically burns off when they, when they melt it down. So each system has a little bit of a different process of how they deal with the, whether they call it contamination or residual or whatever it is. Um, that kind of extra amount of stuff that they're not actually processing into new materials. So no, not 100%, even in the best facilities and best systems, not 100% of everything that goes into the recycling actually gets recycled into the final product. Some of it is burned off or thrown away or screened off throughout the process. I didn't even think about the, how those stickers on produce would would impact that. So that's really interesting to hear about the food grade stamps. That's really creative. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I think that's that's what it's going to come down to is it's it's not about just figuring out what to do with this stuff at the back end um, with composting and recycling really to solve this issue. Because, I mean, if we if we diverted everything that's going into the landfill currently that's organic or recyclable, we would overload all of the recycling systems and all of the composting systems immediately because there's not the infrastructure and, and systems in place to deal with that. Um, so I think it's going to, it's going to take fixing the back end side of things with those types of in infrastructure and systems, but more so it's going to take the front end, um, like this person that sent in the question on the product development side of things, what is it the customer wants and needs? What is it that's necessary to make sure that this food or product is safe for consumption? But what, what also goes into this product that is not necessary and how, how do we eliminate it or replace it with something better? Um, and I think, I think these product developers are doing that on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, we see all kinds of new products and even some of the stuff that's not technically recyclable, it might have a lower um, environmental footprint than something that is recyclable because it's lighter. Um, you, you don't have to spend as much fuel shipping it. Um, you can pack more into a truck, whatever development it is. Um, recycling is not always the perfect answer for everything. Um, overall sustainability wise, but just thinking about the, the whole life cycle. And that's why we talk about waste reduction more so than just recycling. It's, it's about the overall circular economy of the, the whole process. For the last two questions, the first one is, how do income and economic privilege play into recycling opportunities and habits? So this is kind of a loaded question. <laughs> yeah. Um, it, I mean, it's definitely more difficult to prioritize recycling correctly if you're just trying to make ends meet to pay your rent and take care of your children and, you know, put food on the table, right? <laughs> um, so that's, I think that's where government comes in. Um, that's, that's where we need to make it as accessible as possible um, by making sure that the infrastructure is there. Um, so it, here in Athens, we've, we've constantly had these programs where we're pushing to make sure that it's accessible for people. We have free drop-off sites for recycling. Um, a lot of communities don't have that. Um, we, our political officials have invested in it. Um, so making sure that it's paid for in some way so that the individual doesn't have to pay for it every bill um, but the, the recycling is taken care of in another way. Um, sometimes that hurts us on the back end of things, trying to figure out where the money is going to come from. Um, but, but basically prioritizing the waste reduction aspects um, and making it e as easy or easier to recycle and compost than it is to just easily put it in the trash can. So um, I think that's probably the easiest way for us to deal with it on kind of a, a quick uh, basis, uh, an immediate basis. Um, overall though, I mean, waste reduction efforts help everybody relatively equally, but even more so, um, some of the, the lower socioeconomic status areas are infected or affected, um, by landfills and litter, um, more so than some of the more affluent areas. So when, when we put these programs in place to recycle and compost more, it's helping those low income areas have a cleaner place to live. Um, a lot of times when 
the, the conversation that we started with at the beginning of this was where do we put the next landfill? The people that are most vocal and have the time to go to the mayor and commission meetings and, and put all this political power into it, they typically are higher economic status. The lower economic status folks, they're working during those meetings. Um, they're taking care of their kids during those meetings. So they have to get their voice out there in a different way. And unfortunately, what that means is the, the landfill isn't put near the affluent neighborhood. It's put in the agricultural area or near the low income neighborhoods um, just because it has to go somewhere. And, and when they make those decisions, um, it, it just it's based on the voter turnout and who, who speaks up the loudest, um, unfortunately. So as far as the, the cultural implications, the social implications of waste reduction, um, it's not just helping helping the high economic status people who have that um, the ability to recycle and the the luxury of recycling. It's it's helping the whole community um, make it a better place to live. So um, I I guess the best thing that we can do as a community is make it so accessible and so easy for everybody um, that that it it kind of levels the playing field in that way. It's really unfortunate that a lot of these landfills do end up in these communities, but it's great to hear that there are programs like the one that you guys offer with free drop-off. That seems like a really great solution for some of these communities. For the last question uh, related to the coronavirus, a lot of facilities and individuals are being forced to use a lot more disposable items in these times, such as gloves or masks. Are there any programs in place that recycle these items? Um, not that I know of, and I, I would be careful about doing something like that, especially when there's an issue like a pandemic. Um, it, waste reduction is on the forefront of our minds all the time until it's not the priority anymore. Um, right now, people's health and safety is the priority. Um, so our, all of our staff are using gloves and, and masks, and we're even getting into face shields for those that are interacting face-to-face -face, um, with, with customers. So um, we want to make sure everybody's safe, including the community, including our staff. Um, and, and we don't want to recycle and w reduce waste at the expense of those things. Um, so I'm, I'm probably going to, on that question, I'm going to probably defer to the, the public health professionals on that one. Um, but as far as I know, I, I don't know of any programs that recycle that type of medical waste or, or potentially contaminated waste. Okay. Um, a lot of times those types of materials either need to go into just a regular landfill or um, if they're contaminated, they should be treated as potentially hazardous waste, um, depending on the level. Um, so stuff that's coming out of a hospital, typically that stuff is treated as medical or hazardous waste. Um, and that has to go to a completely separate landfill in a completely different system. Um, and the reason that they're separated is it's a different level of um, regulation and, and requirements to make sure that it's safe um, for the community. So not, not really a, a, an answer as far as what people can do with them, but just make sure you don't litter your, your gloves and your masks. We've seen a lot of those on the ground. Um, I, I, I would imagine most of it was an accident, um, people putting it in their floorboard and getting out of the truck or whatever, and it drops out. But um, just making sure you keep up with your stuff, especially during a, a health crisis, making sure that your contaminated gloves that might have um, disease on them or virus on them aren't being littered for one of our staff or our volunteers to have to go pick up and then potentially get the virus. So make sure your stuff ends up in the, in the proper receptacles um, and make sure that it gets uh, out of our environment so that we're not having to deal with it later. Yeah, for sure. Well, this episode has been incredibly educational. I hope that everyone's questions got answered and I think that everyone can learn something from this episode. Before I let you go, this podcast is called Hopefully Sustainable. And I want to know what you're hopeful about. Lots of things, actually. Um, the, the big one for me that I really love about my job is when I go into the schools and the students know the answers before I even start talking. That's, that's encouraging. Um, so they know about the charm facility. They know about styrofoam. Um, they know that their lunch sometimes comes on styrofoam. And some of them are not happy about, or, or <laughs> not happy about it. Um, so, 
yeah, it, I think we, we have an empowered generation already in the K through 12 schools. Um, I think our generation of recent graduates and college students are pushing for this. Um, and I, I think it's, it's just a matter of time before it's the norm for everybody to recycle and compost. Um, we're going to see a lot more materials made out of compostable materials and, and easily recyclable materials. Um, at one of the recent conferences that I went to, I believe it was the Georgia Recycling Coalition conference, um, I heard a presentation about chemical recycling. Um, so not recycling chemicals, but um, chemically actually recycling materials. So when we think about plastics, they're made out of petroleum, um, typically, unless they're made out of some other oil like corn or soy. Um, but most of it's petroleum based. So chemical type recycling, um, as opposed to mechanical recycling, would bring those back to almost to the molecular level where you would be able to use that liquid state or gaseous state um, or even, I guess, physical state of material um, as it was when it was a natural resource. Um, so plastics could be reverted back to almost their same petroleum state and be used for fuels or make making more plastics. Um, so things like that, I, I'm not an expert on that, but um, after hearing that, that talk, that presentation, it's really encouraging that there are new technologies just within the last few years that I've been doing this um, that have come out that are solutions to the problem of what do we do with all this stuff? <laughs> it, can't, it can't go in the oceans, it can't go in nature, where are we gonna put it? Um, there's only so much space for the landfills and even for recycling. So um, thinking about ways to utilize these materials as the, the main source for everything that we produce, because um, there, there, there are challenges with recycling. Um, when you recycle a plastic bottle, it's more, more difficult to turn it right back into a new bottle than it is to turn it, kind of downcycle it into something like carpet or clothing fibers. So at a point, there's, there's only so much you can recycle and then you, those fibers aren't able to be recycled again. So the, there's a lot of much more smart uh, people than me out there researching this um, and, and getting it to a system where we really do have a circular economy where these materials flow um, just like they did in nature before humans disrupted all of this. <laughs> Well, on that hopeful note, I just want to say thank you for joining us today and for sharing your wealth of knowledge on recycling with all of us. Thank you so much. It was fun. Thanks for listening to today's episode. If you want to learn more about today's guest or just say hello, check out the show notes and find us on Instagram at hopefully sustainable pod. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. As you finish this episode, remember that we are all on a personal journey to make the world a better place, but it's all about progress, not perfection. Until next time, stay hopeful and stay sustainable.